Welcome to NetLease with Feller and Harf. Oh, wow. Is that what we're calling it? We're live. I guess that's what we're going to go with. That's the first name subject to further change. We're going to be NetLease with uh, Harf and Feller here. Oh, uh, I love it. I love it. Thank you to all of our colleagues, friends, <clears throat> hopefully not our family members, but uh, certainly the first two categories for joining us today. This inaugural episode is going to be a, a discussion about the net lease markets and uh, whatever else Isaiah Harf has on his <laughs> mind, which is going to be way more interesting than net lease. Well, I'm 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 reprising my uh, my my radio voice. I guess you know I, it seems like podcasts are kind of you know they're 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 the new jam, right? New jam, totally. They're the new jam. Yeah. I mean, when you, know I mean? you I mean, hold on a second, if you don't have a podcast, right? If you don't have a podcast. Uh, who are you, right? Like, like in today's in today's society, uh, maybe you're on the radio, then you're on TV, and then it's like you graduate to having a podcast, right? It's not like I even think Seacrest has a podcast. I'm not sure, but I think he does. Well, you did say reprising your role earlier. For those who uh, are uninformed about what you're reprising, I, I would say that you've you've made a step up in the world. Step down, step up. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, Isaiah was a <laughs> former uh, college radio superstar in Bloomington, Indiana, right? Actually, it was, was high a, school. Oh, this it was high school. school. Yeah, no, I yeah, my agent couldn't get me a college gig. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I. Uh, I I had a uh, weekly radio show at the Berkshire School, uh, my junior and senior year of high school, um, and I think it actually, if I remember correctly, it counted as credit. Ooh. Like so, it was like it, it was a class. It was like it was like independent. I, I remember my senior year. Well, actually, it was my it was my post grad year, um, but that's a that's a whole other discussion. Um, it. I, I took two classes that I didn't have to actually go to class for. One was my radio show, and two was independent poetry. Mm. Um, so you very challenging you know, topics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I and this was around the same time of uh, terror. You know, like like the world first learned about terrorism as we know it today. And so I was writing like Osama bin Laden uh, poems yep. and haikus. <laughs> And, and and then not I would go, limericks, just and the haikus. I, yeah, and then I would go on my radio. And then I would go on my radio why, show. And why did we not bring it? one yeah. of those along? I, that I would have been really I good know. material. And you know, speaking of which, I know we were going to talk about our 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 theme song or our music, yes. our intro music. But I remember mine. Mine was always an Incubus song. Do you remember Incubus? Oh yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's one of the classics? I'm trying to think. Uh, okay. Drive. Drive. Yeah. The only song ever made about drunk driving, which I mean, I, I just, didn't know that. Yeah, oh, well, well, at least that's my interpretation of no, it. No, you're probably right. Anyhow, uh, enough of uh, our discussion about the college recording career. The reason we're all here today and talking about net lease is it's a topic that we enjoy getting into, and uh, we're bored of writing newsletters, so we decided to make it live, put some fancy headphones on, and uh, see how uh, we can prove that we have total and complete incompetence about our space. So. <laughs> This is going to be a wide-ranging discussion uh, around a lot of things, but uh, we kind of wanted to lead off with one topic today, and that's uh, the Walgreens uh, leverage buyout that kind of got floated late last year. Walgreens oh, yeah. potentially going private, one of the largest net lease companies and tenants in America. Uh, we get questions about this every day, Isaiah. Absolutely. And uh, absolutely. rather than try and write a four-page white paper that a grand total of three people are going to read, and two of them are probably doing a doctoral dissertation in upstate New York. Uh, <laughs> we figured we'd do a podcast here. I was going to, I was going to say that I thought you were going to say there's three, there's, there's three people who are going to read it and two of them are us. Yeah. <laughs> we're also the ones doing the dissertation, I think. So. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, 
So Walgreens, yeah, I mean Walgreens is is uh, you know try is it, is it trusted since 1901? Right, that's their slogan. Well, yeah, I hope right. that's right. I didn't. We didn't Google the poly, the I'm actual, pretty, but I think 1901 sure. sounds about yeah, it's, right. It's tru- yeah, their 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 quote unquote slogan is you know trusted since 1901, and uh, for many of us who live in the Midwest, Walgreens has been a staple uh, on you know major intersection corners for years, and. You know, in our in our space, they've they've turned into you know phenomenal and have been phenomenal yield investments. Yeah. Uh, you know, for fixed income real estate investors. And for those people who are listening who don't know quite as much about Walgreens, they've probably been arguably the staple tenant of the net lease marketplace for at least the last twenty years since yeah. they went on a big building spree in the late nineties and early two thousands. There's ten thousand locations out there today, probably about five to seven thousand leases currently in place. So it's a, they're a big factor. They pay a lot of rent in the marketplace and a lot of private and institutional investors really count on these income streams. So the news that Walgreens could go private in $80 billion takeout, uh, $80 billion leverage buyout was, uh, was nothing short of a kind of seismic thing for people to learn about. And sure. I think people are still really trying to figure it out, Isaiah. I mean, what are you hearing in your conversations out there on the street? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the first and foremost, um, I think that people are nervous, right? They're nervous about you know the validity of the credit. They're nervous about well, if if for some reason if this does happen, right? What what happens to the lease that this tenant has guaranteed, right? What what happens to Walgreens, right? Because I think that I think leverage buyouts, you know, are a discussion that happened. Uh, you know, frankly, more with the with the you know with the top one percent of this world than they do you know the ninety nine percent who are using the retailer right that are using Walgreens, and so I think I think the 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 general you know concern and sentiment for well what does this mean yeah. is what's is what they're constantly asking us. Well, I think before we get into the specifics of the Walgreens uh, potential buyout, it's important to note that. Over the last couple of decades, if you look at most of the retail bankruptcies that happened, um, I'm going to fail to remember any of them as I'm saying this, but Anna's, Anna's Linens, Toys R Us, uh, throw in a couple more here, Isaiah, if you can uh, think of them. The, Wet Seal was there, my favorite bankruptcy. There we bankruptcy. go, Wet Seal, yeah, you Wet know, Seal. Forever 21. Claire's. The, yeah. the vast majority of these companies that when they went bankrupt and liquidated, they were owned by private equity. And sure. uh, we hear a lot of woes about people talking about how private equity is in trouble, uh, how retail's in trouble, how it's a dying brand. But I think it's over 70% of the retailers who have gone bankrupt over the last couple of decades actually have gone bankrupt usually because of the high leverage associated with these buyouts. So yeah. it's- yeah. And for their, you know, and their their store and in customer experience, right? I mean, it's yeah. so funny to me. I mean, walking inside of a Walgreens is a completely different experience than, frankly, walking inside of you know what may be a Macy's or a Sears or a Kmart or a Toys R Us. Even I mean, I remember uh, you know when right before Toys R Us went went bankrupt. Uh, I had to go buy, you know, my son Brody a toy. You know, he he just had a great performance at the doctor's office, <laughs> and I have to tell you, I, you go in there, there's nobody to help you, there's no service, there's no, and, and it's a product, as you said, you know, of the private equity, right? They're slashing, sure. they're slashing employees, they're they're cutting costs every which way they can, and and but then on top of it, they're not providing a product that the consumer really relates with, and that's. That's the whole issue. And then when you think about Walgreens, right, when you walk into a Walgreens, how do you feel, right? The bright lights are on you. The floors are clean. The shelves are stocked. The labels are out. 
I feel pretty good. Uh, we better be know. getting sponsorship rights out of this, some yeah, kind yeah. of revenue stream. We got to monetize all yeah. those all those glowing comments. But you're right. The Walgreens experience is something that's remained pretty consistent, even as they've changed a lot of cost cutting. But you know, it's in that context of all these retailers that have gone bankrupt that sure. um, people are very nervous about an eighty billion dollar takeover. Walgreens is investment grade credit today, triple B plus, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, triple B minus. I think I was mistaken with that, but still investment grade credit with long term leases, and that's something that there's not enough to go around. There's not enough of those to meet investor demand, both institutional and private buyers today. Sure. So, I agree. Uh, you know, I noticed, you know, one of the things I looked up before we walked in here was, I mean, I noticed, you know, Walgreens peak share price uh, for 2019 was roughly like 73 bucks a share. And, you know, today they're at, you know, 59 and change a share. And I, and I just think, I think the general sentiment will be as long as it probably hovers, you know, in the fifties, sixties, right. You know, who it's a, it's, it's a concern, but it's not a huge concern. Right. But, you know, as we, as you and I know, what happens to companies, right, when stocks maybe drop 20%, 25%, and there was already prior talk of a leverage buyout, right? Then it's not just maybe one huge private equity group saying, hey, you know, we can do this. And Mr. Debt Markets, Mrs. Debt Markets, what, you know, what, how would you price this, right? If we asked for 50, $60 billion worth of debt, right? What, now there's now there's multiple private equity shops, you know, competing potentially, you know, to to do a sure. takeover. There are, and you know, the the most interesting thing about the Walgreens potential buyout here is the size of it. Um, the, the the initial news that came out, I believe, initially in uh, early November, said that this is going to have to be about an eighty billion dollar takeover. That's about an eighty. Uh, $80 per share price to, to get this done. A couple challenges with that. It's a huge number. It's the biggest yeah. LBO that would have ever happened in, ever. In, in the retail space. And it's going to require both a lot of debt and a lot of equity. Unlike some of the other buyouts have happened where we've seen leverages 80%, 85%. Mm-hmm. Lenders are going to require a lot more equity in this deal. Some of the the talk and banter in the financial marketplace has been this is probably going to be a twenty to thirty billion dollar equity raise. Right wow. now, uh, we'll get into this a little more later. KKR has been rumored to be in discussions to try and make this happen. Yeah, and even for a huge shop like KKR, thirty billion is still a huge, uh, a big chunk of equity that they'd have to pull in from a lot of very substantial wealth sources like sovereign wealth funds or other other institutional capital sources. So that definitely that definitely makes the likelihood of this. A little bit lower uh, right now. The Walgreens share price you reference, I just looked up as well. It's fifty nine dollars a share. That's twenty dollars lower per share than the deal would have likely happen at, and that represents almost a what forty percent discount. So the market's saying something here. The market's saying I think there's a real chance that this can't get pulled off. Yeah, I and I I completely agree. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I I looked up some of the larger LBOs that have happened over the last ten years, and and you. You look at the space that they were in, right? Dell, Dell bought a little company called EMC to, you know, explain their expand their cloud-based uh, operations. And Charter Communications bought a little company called Time Warner. And when you think about those spaces, right? I mean, they're they're largely they're largely technology-based. That's right? right. And they have subscription. I mean, you know, especially for the cable industry, right? They have a subscription revenue base that I think is much easier to predict. It is. And. Uh, you know, when I think about <clears throat> when I think about analysts who are saying that Walgreens earnings are going to be down potentially five percent when they report on January eighth, I say to myself, okay, it sounds like things maybe aren't as steady earnings wise as 
they could be, and thus how do you know what then? And then what does that mean, right, sure. for a private equity firm who potentially wants to invest twenty billion dollars of equity? I think we can pause that on that thought because it's something that we've noticed a lot. We sell we've sold probably on average twenty to twenty five Walgreens a year for the past few years. So we see a lot of this. And right now, Walgreens, a lot of private equity takeover targets have been very heavy on costs. They haven't been running lean. Private equity look as, looks at them and says, here's a great opportunity to come in costs. With Walgreens, that's not the case. We've no. seen firsthand, they've been very aggressive in cost cutting. Earlier this year, they announced a batch of 200 stores that they're going to be closing, which against 10,000 isn't a huge amount, but it's still a meaningful amount. We're seeing a lot of shutdowns. We're seeing their new concept where they're actually shutting down stores that have bad front ends with good pharmacies, relocating those to an end of a strip center with maybe a drive-through. Sure. So there's not a lot of obvious room to cut costs further if a private equity company comes in, which again, that adds another layer of complexity. And that's probably why the marketplace is saying, I'm not sure I believe in that $80 billion takeover. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's much easier for private equity firms to say you're you're potentially undervalued and but your blueprint doesn't work. And we're gonna change your blueprint. Right. And, and there's there's a there's just there's a huge cosmic shift of what they're doing today versus what they do tomorrow. And as as we've both alluded to with less people. Right. That's right. And and I just I don't necessarily I mean, when I walk into a Walgreens today, it's clean. It's nice. It's bright, as I mentioned. But it's not like there's seven or eight people working there. Sure. Right. Well, and that's, that's old level. when you're up front. IC3, you've ever heard them announce that? That means uh, that means the third person who's <laughs> right. over covering the runner. The, exactly, yeah, the, runner. the runner's yeah. got to run up front. So, yeah, the runner. But I mean, it does illustrate the point that this is a company that's run lean and and, lean. and has still maintained the customer experience to your Absolutely. point earlier. Yeah. So I think that's really important to note. Um, you know, let's let's shift gears a little bit here and talk sure. about both as is and mm-hmm. Q4, Q1, 2020. Uh, Without the buyout even having happened yet, with just the rumor of it, with just a few articles the having noise. hit, just yeah, the, noise, the noise, just the static in the marketplace, what's the impact been so far in your mind? Is it, I mean, you're, you're boots on the ground. You're talking to people all day. How, how, besides the you know, worried and anxiety, how is this translating to impacting market conditions? You know, I think I wouldn't say it's hugely negative. I would say it's mildly negative in the sense that I think that there are a lot of buyers that have passed on potentially purchasing Walgreens assets and have purchased other assets because they've been concerned, right? I don't necessarily think there's been a huge drop off in pricing, right? It's not like we woke up one day and because of this noise, nothing real's happened yet, right? But but just because of this noise, right, cap rates rose 50 basis points or said differently, somebody wants, you know, 50 bips more of a return, right, on that same lease obligation. And and that's the that, that's the interesting point in, in that there's still the, the the buyer pool for these assets is still there. I think it's just thinner. I don't necessarily think that the pricing has wildly changed. Has it changed a little bit? Maybe. Sure. Right. And and and, and for every and for every data point that you have that says it, cap rates have gone up twenty five basis points, right? There's you know there's there's a closing the following week that says nothing's changed, guys. Right. So, I think. You're absolutely right. I think pricing hasn't changed at the wholesale level. Sure. 
But I do think that we may be seeing a little bit of a dynamic that has manifested itself and played out in a lot of different areas, and it's bifurcation. Oh, yeah. Um, That's the whole – I mean, talk about net lease takeaways. That's the whole net lease market. (laughs) I mean, everybody thinks that a long-term deal is a five-and-a-half cap and a short-term deal is a seven. And I I challenge anyone to – who has a five-year lease in the marketplace at a seven cap to tell me how their sure. marketing efforts are going. Well, I think it's, it goes even further than that. You're absolutely right. Short-term versus long-term, there's hugely different pricing. But store sales, right or That's wrong, right. right or wrong, we've seen you know that 15-year Walgreens that we talked about, even if that lease just got renewed, uh, if it's got two or 2.1 or $2.2 million of sales, you're talking about pricing that's going to be 25 basis points higher, maybe, uh, than, more, a, maybe right? more than a $3 million store. And I think that's what's really important is that it's it's the bullet points are really changing the cap rate, that's right. right? Not the, 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 the product isn't necessarily changing, but bullet points are swinging cap rates, frankly, more than, more than overall ever. macro perception. Yeah. Right? It used to be term and credit, and now, particularly with the changing landscape, it really is the bullet points. It's the nuances of the right. deal, the store sales, the rents. That was really, for me, the story of 2019 was people really drilling down. And sometimes it's arbitrary. You and I both know these Walgreens sure. store sales reports don't mean a whole whole uh, oh, heck oh, of a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of variance there. But buyers believe that they that means something, right. and that is impacting pricing. Yeah. And, 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 and the narrative has changed, too, from that, right? It used to be... Well, there's 15 years of term left, right? So regardless, you're going to have 180 guaranteed payments from this, you know, from this investment grade tenant, right? And and sure, the sales might not be so hot today, but who knows what's going to happen in Creevecore, Missouri, you know, in 10 years? Creevecore is a hot market. Creevecore is already nice, and you know what might happen in 10 years? It it might be, uh, you know, it might be the next. Nashville. Who knows, right? <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's that's the crazy you thing. You heard it here now, folks. Isaiah's is calling Creve Core as the next Nashville. Buy your buy your real estate there right now. I have to tell you, it's uh, it's a it's a gorgeous place to raise family. <laughs> it is. Um, so uh, today we're looking at cap rates have probably opened up a little bit. I'd say more than anything, probably yeah. buyer skepticism, a little bit of uh, outflow of people. Maybe if the pool of Buyers was 500 deep that were willing to consider Walgreens before this announcement. Maybe it's now 450 or 425, somewhere in that neighborhood. Some of those folks might have migrated to CVS assets. I do. Sure. I think CVS is going to be a net beneficiary from a cap rate perspective here. Uh, we already have seen cap rate compressions uh, significantly for CVS over the last 18 to 24 months. I think that trend is going to continue as long as rates stay consistent. I think so too, and I think and I think something you alluded to earlier is really important, and that is is that you know while CVS may not report all of their sales in some of their sales reports that we've seen, right? The sales. It, it, they're very easy to interpret, right? Sure. And the and the lineage of of it being consistent over the last 20 years, right, remains. So I think people feel a little bit more comfortable, right, inside with purchasing a CVS asset that has some reported sales because – they they really feel like they're getting the straight answer of how well or not well, frankly, a store is doing. Sure. And uh, it's interesting. I haven't seen too many stores that report, um, and you know, it's 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 the because of the genesis of the companies that CVS has purchased over the years. Um, I haven't seen too many sales reports that actually are 
are poor performing stores, right? When was the last time you saw CVS? I'm like, yeah, it's a dumper. Those four million, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of the vintage product that might not be good performers is kind of a lot of that's tied up in the zero cash flows. A lot of the ones we have sure. seen in the market has been the renewed. Sure. But you're right. I mean, consistently, I think we see a, a better performance trend for CVS in most markets today. There are outliers. Walgreens does own you know a top ten, top fifteen market list of, of sure. various markets, but sure. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, maybe we're fooled right into thinking that all these CVS stores are really are really good performers because they get extensions or they you know they've been there so long and they continue to renew. But the truth of the matter is, is that it may be because their lease obligations are just much cheaper. Yeah. And and when you have if when you have lower lease obligations and lease rates, right, you're able to say, you know what. This isn't a $10 million store. It's a $6 million store, but we're paying $200,000 a year in rent here, and we have been for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah, that so, occupancy level is, yeah. is certainly key. And it just, it just shows you that occupancy costs for these retailers is is everything. Well, that's right? another central theme we've seen for three years now. I mean, I, I, yeah. would, I would speculate that you know retailers have reduced occupancy costs globally by something like – two or 3% per year over the last three years. So they've really bought, brought those costs down. And from- you know what they don't care about? They don't care about how much lease term they have remaining. They don't care. Yeah, I think they don't that's care. Right. Sure. I mean, I mean, is it, uh, is it, is it advantageous for a landlord to not address things? Sure. Because usually if you're addressing things, right, the rent is only going in one direction. But that being said, People, people are now coming around to the idea of wanting a comfortable tenant, yeah. right? It, it, if it's if it's if it's if it's a percent or or a point and a half less of a return, but my tenant's happy and I know that they have a better shot of being there through the length of their yeah. lease. And that's the bifurcation trend that we talked about. People Absolutely. are willing to pay up, accept that lower return for, for the high degree of confidence that they're going to be sticking around. Let, Absolutely. Let, let's pull it back to the high level. We, sure. we were unpacking what uh, the news sure. of that potential LBO meant to Walgreens cap rates in the net lease marketplace today. Sure. But let's play a little hypothetical here and assume that, you know, whether it's March, June, September doesn't really matter when, but let's assume that a a, a buyout of Walgreens happens. Walgreens goes private. Mm-hmm. We know it's going to require a lot of debt. That debt load above and beyond where Walgreens is at today is really going to, in all likelihood, erode the credit rating that those bonds are going to have. Absolutely. I think you're, you have to be kind of foolish to not assume that that's going to make it go sub-investment grade. I think the question is more, is it double B+. Plus? Is it double B minus or is it worse? I think I think the range is probably that double B minus to yeah. double B plus. Yeah. But let's pretend that, that that transaction goes through in September of this year. What does that sure. do? What does that do to Walgreens cap rates afterwards in your in your mind, Isaiah? I don't think there's any question that the cap rates will rise, but they're rising for an int- the they're rising because of the supply and demand issues that would be created in that I think that there's a lot of of retirees and people who have bought these assets with in 1031 like kind exchanges and I and they're constantly concerned about protecting their as I as we would say they're not right they're they're their wealth they're yeah their annuity they're, stream their annuity stream and and I think when people think that it may be shaky, whether it is or isn't, right, and, and and people just generally speaking believe that things are more liquid than they always are, right? So I think that you would see, frankly, this LBO would occur, and I think I think that you would see 
a pretty big rush of people who are in their 70s are you know are in their you know their early to mid 70s who would rush the market with these assets and i think that uh, i mean it obviously varies depending upon their debt situation but a lot of people in these assets for cash as they we do. know they do and uh, and and i th- i could easily see them saying you know what we bought this for a 6 our rent hasn't increased but we're happy to sell for a seven and know that it never went to eight and, you know, find, find something new for me, BJ. Sure. Well, the interesting thing as we look at the Walgreens market uh, for all non Walgreens owned locations for sure. third party landlord owned locations, I, I believe the latest stat I saw is about 30% of those are institutionally owned. 70% are private owned. You were sure. speaking to the private market right sure. now. I totally agree with you on the supply side. You have a lot of, investors 60 and up, we're going to say, I like the locations fine, but I just don't want the risk. And I think right. we'll see a lot of 1031 activity there into more secure assets, right. CVSs, whatever that might be. On the institutional side, I think that's a little bit of a question mark. I think there's the possibility that some of these REITs who own a lot of them could need to offload some to balance their credit exposure. Yeah. I think Wall, Wall Street have forced them to to get rid of you know, maybe maybe it's ten percent, fifteen percent of their stock, right? But it, it, they're not going to be the ones flooding the market, right? Because look, at the end of the day, they have to own what they've bought, and they have to own something. They, and and they, it's easier to own what you've already bought than something else. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, the the securitization pools which they've financed these assets with aren't going to allow like, oh yeah, no problem. Take 10 out. Right. Sure. Like that's just, I mean, what are the bondholders of, you know, of the deck going to say? Sure. No, I think that's a, a very relevant fact. So I mean, I think net, net, uh, net takeaways uh, analysis here is we're going to see more supply that would come into the market. Absolutely. The question is how much demand is going to evaporate from the market. And and I, I think it's, if in that scenario where Walgreens goes to, let's say a double B minus. Sure. If that pool earlier we said was 500 potential theoretical investors and went to 450 on the news. I have to think that that pool is going to decline again. And that might go down to 300. I think, you know, well, and plus, and obviously if the institutions aren't offloading them, and we've seen this for the last you know four or five years now, right? Institutions aren't going to be on the other side of that transaction. Right. But, right. So it's going to be, it's going to be private, you know, private equity money raised, right. That it's, it's the, as we always say, Right when cap rates get high enough on a certain asset that people are very familiar with, right? People are familiar with nine thousand Walgreens, nine thousand plus Walgreens leases, right? That that they'll be the next new billion dollar fund who says, "Oh, we're we're, we're we've been trusted since 1901." <laughs> sure. No, there's the the consistent theme we've learned is that over the last decade since the Great Recession. Whenever one big source of capital, stream of capital, has kind of evaporated in the market, for whatever reason it might be, uh, we're not going to name any names here, uh, but for whatever name it might be, there has consistently been another source that could step in and muster a half a, mil- half a billion, up to a few billion of capital to buy assets. And uh, you know, I think there is a floor for Walgreens, even in the scenario in which we're talking about where Walgreens goes to a double B credit. Mm-hmm. If Walgreens cap rates globally are an average 640 today, mm-hmm. Whether it's six seventy, whether it's seven, mm-hmm. at some point there's going to be another stream of capital that comes in and takes those down and, and accounts for that credit risk. Absolutely, and, and and if nothing else, right? There's there's two things. There's familiarity, right? 
and there's ease of ownership. Yeah. And that always drives capital to race into a space, right? And, and even three, I mean, how, how many of these assets would have true long-term leases on them? Now, and I understand one might say, well, if the credit is weak or weaker, right, that that lease term is maybe less relevant because who can count on more than maybe 60 guarantee payments in any lease if the credit's weak, right? Sure. But, but that being said, I, I think that Walgreens – Walgreens leases are unique in that they're so long. They've signed so many long leases that there is the you know there's equity and then and then more correspondingly debt that gets really comfortable with leverage points and the equity gets comfortable with the cash on cash returns. And arguably the most important factor that we've learned about the net lease market is let's say we take Walgreens out of that pool of long-term investment grade credit. Sure. And now you're a theoretical investor out of Santa Monica. That's our favorite running hypothetical investor when we're driving out there. Um, you got to buy something for $5 million mm. and you want a long-term investment grade lease. Your options are pretty slim. I mean, yeah. we, we all know that. There's not a lot in that three to $8 million segment that isn't a pharmacy asset. I mean, you're rich, right? You're rich, but I mean, in Santa Monica, how rich are you? Really? <laughs> right? I mean, place, gosh. It is Santa Monica. Well, I've, I mean, it's crazy. I feel like, I mean, they got $20 hot dogs and, you know, $400 parking tickets. It's crazy. <laughs> was that how much the parking ticket was that we got out there? When we saw Larry, who'd we see? Larry, Larry David, David walk us this year. Larry didn't have a Tesla, park. He did yeah. not. Yeah. What is Larry David doing driving a Tesla? I guess. What do you mean? What is he doing? Well, he's you know, the, I, he's love the the, you know I love the Tesla. Yeah, but he's, hold on a second. Larry David's the poster boy for a Tesla. I don't know. What do you mean? I wish we could have like an instant poll scroll on your, on your, uh, yeah. iPhone screen and see if people would agree that Larry po Larry David is the poster child. Raise your mug if. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't know if people would agree with that, but you may be right. So we have an interesting marketplace forming in 2020. Certainly sure. the Walgreens dynamic is a huge other effect here that, that we're going to monitor closely. We did an article that was our, our top three bold predictions for 2020. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'd be great if we could close on talking about those a little bit and talking about what else we see in the marketplace today. Um, what were our top three bold predictions, Isaiah? I think one, we predicted the net lease market was going to be flat. Last year was around $80 billion, which was about a $5 billion year-over-year -year increase in the size of the market. Yeah. So we saw some growth. That was obviously great. I think this is close to the historical highs, if not the historical high that the market has ever seen. Yeah. The real We've talked about this a lot in, in the office. The biggest uh, holdback we see from that market going to 100 billion or 120 billion is that there's not enough of that long-term supply, which is exactly what we're talking about in the Walgreens. Absolutely. And I think our opinion is, and uh, we're probably going to be entirely wrong and the market's going to be like 95 this year, but we just think there's not enough supply to go around. There's plenty of demand, but there's not enough supply that can allow that that volume to really eclipse 80 billion that easily. Well, and, that, and that's interesting. I think, you know, and, and, I know we've talked about this, um, but I don't know how much it's talked about in the marketplace. I think there's not enough of non-retail long-term sure. supply, and I and and I'm saying that specifically because it it really is it's 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 the love affair with industrial, it's a love affair with healthcare right now. That and especially if there's any sort of significant rent growth, you know, over a ten or fifteen year lease term. I, I think that you just you have a number of investors who are sitting there saying, if that was presented to me, I would jump. Yeah. Right. But but 
I just there, there's just not enough of it. And and even if I am playing with some of Uncle Sam's money in a 1031 exchange, um, unless you're you know if you're only showing me a lot of retail assets or it's just it's a very retail dominated potential to buy, I'm likely just going to pay my taxes and, and and go on my merry way. Yeah, I think more people are coming to that calculus. I mean, Retail is interesting. It's the baseline for the net lease industry because sure. it's the tenant that most people feel most comfortable with. Drive by it every day. Exactly. I don't care who you are, what you've done, uh, whether you're in Santa Monica or Omaha, you've had some experience with retailers in all likelihood, whereas probably only a smaller segment of the world has had experience with industrial, office to a certain degree, and medical, but not from a medical perspective, truly understand. Everyone's been to a doctor's office, but not necessarily understood the business model. So there's some some variation there. Yeah, and I, I do think, though, that the consumer, right, who's buying our product, right? Let's face it, right? They're they're not the average consumer, sure, right? And but I think so, they're closer to the average than you might think. But yes, you're yeah, right; they're not yeah, your they, average consumer. And, and, yeah, and at least at a at a at a basic level, right? They have, or at least what they think they have, is a basic understanding of last mile distribution, right? Yeah, and they have a basic understanding that the doctor that may live down the street from them for some reason keeps making more and more money, right? And and I mean, and that's. That's actually very not true, as we all know. But uh, but there's a perception. But there's that a it's perception. True. Perception is reality in the exactly. market. We know and, that. And so I think right because because people are paying these bills, right? They're paying the Amazon bill. They're paying the the doctor's office bill, and they're saying to themselves, "Well, somebody's on the other end of that bill, sure. right?" And so it, it makes sense for me to invest in who's on the other side of that bill. Well, I think that was that was I'm skipping around here. That was our number. Th- this leads perfectly into our number three prediction, which was that net lease alternative tenants will really get more substantial tra- uh, traction in 2020. I mean, we've already seen that over the last three years. We think that trend's going to even get more enhanced, though. I, I remember five years ago, if you tried to tell someone what a Devita or Fresenius was as a tenant, no one knew. Even Sherwin Williams, who everyone knew, no one thought of them as a net lease tenant. If you were investing in assets that, frankly, revolved around the human body, everybody looked at you like you were crazy. Yeah, no, it was. And- I mean, today, and today. five years ago, uh, buying that type of asset was sure. like, why are you going there? That's just right. a very strange concept. Right. And today, a, a DeVita in a great location in a great market is a five and a half cap. So All day long. And, you know, we think that uh, that trend is going to continue in other space. I mean, I think we're a little bit ahead of calling this particular one, but I do think over the next five <laughs> years, this is going to be a trend that really hits harder is, is the net lease cannabis space. I mean, we're sitting here in Chicago, Illinois right now. We're two days into to legal cannabis in Illinois. And, uh, you know, frankly, we're now sitting with, I think, 18 markets that have made recreational cannabis legal. Uh, and these dispensaries are doing amazing business, $1,700 a square foot in sales. I mean, you're talking about occupancy costs based on the rents that they're paying that are oftentimes below 1%. And in an era where traditional retailers are really getting squeezed, getting squeezed by online, at some point, investors are going to start to say, that's interesting. Obviously, there's, yeah. there's federal banking things that go into this as well. Sure. But I think people are going to really start looking at this in earnest. Yeah, there has not been a retailer that's had rent-to-sales like that since you know since Apple came. Yeah. And the there's not too many Apple stores you can go out and buy. And, and, that's, and that's the interesting thing. I mean, Apple is probably the only traditional, and I don't even want to call them a traditional retailer because, you know, they're trying to get you to stay in a store and test out all of their products and they want you to be there for an hour, right? It's, sure. it's, it's the wait list effect, right? That they, that they create on an iPad. Right. But, uh, but 
what's unbelievable is that is that the cannabis business is doing the same thing, right? You walk into a retail cannabis space, um, and I'm not naming any names. I'm not saying <laughs> I have. I'm not saying I haven't. But you have a friend. I have a friend who has a friend, right? And and right, what are, what what are they doing in there besides just right selling pot and you know and and, and levying? Well, they're not levying, but you're talking well, they're about collecting that. the levy tax. Yeah, they're collecting the the fifty yeah. percent levy tax, yeah. right? What are they, they're creating an experience, right? right? I mean, and and uh, and I think that's a huge that's a huge reason, right? They're keeping the consumer in their store, right, for 30, 35, 40 minutes, right? And or keeping them coming back often enough to substantiate <laughs> that seventeen hundred. One way or the other, they're getting they're getting to a big a big number per square foot. So yeah. I just think that investors increasingly, like they figured out medical. Um, yeah. They're going to figure out this is another viable. If you want to, if you need to be in bricks and mortar real estate as an yeah. investment, as a long-term asset, I think we're going to see more people really start to traffic in that. Uh, early childhood education has been something that, you know, five years ago, unheard of, as we know. I mean, you didn't see these deals really in the marketplace. How about the gym space? I mean, the gym space yeah. is, I mean, and it's not, right, it's not just... LA fitness and 24 hour fitness and lifetime fitness. No, it's, right? it's the planet fitnesses of the world now. Sure. Vasa fitness uh, expanding right. out of Denver. That's made some serious uh, footprints. Uh, and, how, and how about like the F 45s of the world, the orange theory fitnesses of the world. All right. You just said F 45. This is yeah. like a cue for me. They got to yeah. hear your Mark Wahlberg impression. No, I don't do a Mark Wahlberg oh, impression. Your Mark. Right Wal- no. It's pristine. No. It's pristine. Ladies no. and gentlemen, I'm no. sorry. Everybody knows. Everybody knows I only do one impression. Uh-oh. I only do one. I only do one. And it's not Donald Trump. It's Alec Baldwin doing Donald Trump, right? <laughs> the nuance is important. The, the, the Alec Baldwin element is, is key. So yeah. <laughs> you had a good Mark Wahlberg, though. I'm not going to let you off the hook. You're yeah, gonna th- there's only one issue with me doing a Mark Wahlberg impression, and that's I don't look like my, Mark Wahlberg. Well, no one right. can see what you look like on the uh, podcast. That's the brilliance of it. They yeah. have to at least Google you. You know, look, radio turns into TV, which turns into... <laughs> turns into syndication. All right, we're going to get that Mark Wahlberg impression one day because it is truly, truly epic. My Marky Mark impression? No, you know the one I'm talking about. Mark Mark just got his F45 done. He's going to get his protein shake. I didn't know how far back, you know, I didn't know if you wanted me to go to Good Vibrations. I can go to Good Vibrations. We may need that. Uh, But uh, That was the last time I had a radio show. Good Vibrations (laughs) was playing on the radio. Oh, my God. If we if we end up branding this with good vibrations, there would be some continuity, but that would uh, also be a pretty pretty good kickoff song. So, um, so yeah, uh, 2020, the year of the alternative tenant, and then net lease cap rates. Uh, you know, I think our biggest takeaway here is just obviously supply of what people want isn't going to grow. We think demand's going to be reasonably consistent. Going to maybe shift around a little bit based on some of the factors. But I think the biggest impact is just going to be debt can't stay quite this cheap. I mean, yeah. we saw such cheap debt in 2019. Sure. And we've and we've seen the 10-year rise a little bit over the last three months, Up right? about 190 right now. Yeah. I mean, I and I think uh, it's reasonable to expect that all in coupons will be, you know, probably in the mid to high fours. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a crazy, uh, that's a crazy prediction. Um, and, and look, I mean, I think, I, I definitely think it'll keep transaction volume relatively flat. Yeah, I, can't I mean the, the cap rate and transactional elements. We we made them separate predictions, but they are closely related. But yeah, I, think, I mean I think our, right. our our prediction is that cap rates are going to be see about t- ten to twenty five basis points worth of rise in in twenty twenty, and uh, we could be 
completely crazy on that. We could see the yeah. treasury go back to 150, and then uh, we'll be the people who don't know what we're talking about. But that's kind of how we view it. But with an election year coming up, you know, certainly. I mean, well, that's well, why don't we talk know, about that a little bit? Because sure. I mean, we've 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 seen probably three, two, three election years, obviously, over the past uh, decade here since the Great Recession. Uh, probably doing my math horribly wrong, but I mean, what what I think people tend to get a little more conservative during the election years. Oh, I do as well. I mean, yeah. So what we saw Obama get elected in 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 '08 and '12, and Trump got elected in '16. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, look, it's. Uh, I mean, we saw a big slowdown in the market three months before the 2016 election. Absolutely. And I think it was probably driven more by the polarity of what could have happened, depending on who won. Right. I mean, just because the universe from a business, economic, and tax perspective was so wildly different. And, right. you know, we got to look ahead a little bit in the Democratic elections here, but in the Democratic primaries, I should say. But we could see a very similar dynamic. I mean, if we're looking at Elizabeth Warren on, on the Dems ticket, and obviously Trump, again, presumably, unless something crazy happens on the Republican ticket. I heard a crazy stat today, though, that Bernie Sanders raised $39 million. It's a lot of, over the last, a lot of Bernie Sanders capital. Over the last, yeah. And I mean, and it's interesting, it's coming, it's not coming from from huge sources. Yeah, it's, it's coming from a lot of individual people. And that just tells me that I, I think there's going to be more voters yeah. than people think. It's going to be a big turnout one way or the other. It's a question of where that turnout yeah, manifests that turn, itself. Yeah, I mean, that's, but from a net lease market perspective, I sure. think there's going to be a lot of underwriting of the political odds over the next six months. And that's going to be influenced by Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, all these upcoming primary elections and caucuses, but I, I mean, I, that could have a little bit of a, of a holdback effect on the net lease markets. Yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, you know, especially if, if people, as we always said, in the residential sector, the multifamily sector, if we see sellers pull back and not sell because they don't like their number, right? It has a, a, uh, it has a train you know, effect on our business and we're sure. the caboose, right? And and so it's uh, it's very interesting to see one. I mean, obviously, Fannie and Freddie debt's still incredibly cheap, and the amortization rates are still. I mean, they're still offering thirty five and forty rams. Yeah, right. But that being said, if sellers don't like their numbers because NOIs haven't grown like they thought they were going to grow. Doesn't matter if cap rates and debt are cheap. The the NOI growth isn't going to substantiate those exits. So there's yeah, no transaction. Well, there's right. And there, there's a slowdown in the transaction volume. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like I need to break out, and you're going to encourage me not to. But like in the circle of life, but like circle of capital, like a circle <laughs> circle of capital from the Lion King. We need to make a new song. That would be the worst song ever made. But oh yeah, no, 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 we're not doing that. Yeah. So on that topic, uh, <laughs> I think uh, this is the end to our first. Uh, Net uh, talking, what would we call it? Talking net? I don't even remember. I don't remember. Net takeaways? Yeah, we're going to come up it? with a new working title yeah, for the next one. one. Just a new one entirely. But uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. And until our next episode, wishing you the best. Yeah.